0: You that I have seen from every church that I've been to, just glorious harmony, self-sacrificing love for one another, that there are never any problems in churches, that, that people never fall out, because there's just so much Jesus love in that place. However, if you've been around a church for more than five minutes, you'll probably realise that's not mm-hmm. necessarily true. Actually, everyone in the church still has issues. Right? And I've got issues. You've got issues. No offence. And when there are people with issues, there are issues. Right? And that is the reality of life. Now in Joshua 21, at the very end of it, there's this glorious little moment where it looks like God has, has done... Everything that he's promised the Israelites, he's given them the land. They have settled in it, they've they've gone through the Jordan, they've gone into the land and they've conquered the land, they've they've inhabited it, they've taken it. But actually the truth is, they had not inhabited all of it. There were things that they didn't do that they were supposed to do. And now in Joshua 22 we see a bit of the reality of life at play, even In the land that is supposed to be like Eden. And so, it's true in the church as well. That actually we have problems, issues that go on. And we need to know how to deal with them. And not just in the church, but in family life, with friends, with other people that we're in community with. So, the question is not, will there be disagreements? Or, do you think uh, someone might fall out? Like... With someone else, you know, at some point, we will have issues. The real question is, how do we work through the issues and still genuinely love one another? That's the real question. Chapter 22 takes us back to reality. Miscommunication and bad judgment is a reminder here. The world is still broken and God's people are still susceptible to sin and frailty, and with that comes painful baggage. To be a church that is truly united in love, we need to be united in gospel vision. We need to have gospel vision. Now, friends over here, photographer, he's going to come and help us as we go through, okay? So, um, we're going to talk about what it means to have wide a wide-angled gospel vision we're going to talk about what it means to have a gospel vision that is in macro it's a technical term right prince close up in focus and then we're going to talk about what it looks like then to have the gospel in exhibition being exhibited so not just taking the photos but actually exhibiting it to the world So, before I get Prince to come and explain number one, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you come and you meet with us so faithfully in your word. Thank you, God, that that we see Jesus in this passage. Thank you that this whole Bible declares the glory of your name. And that ultimately, the fulfilment of all of its promises are found in you, Jesus. I thank you, God, that today we can come confidently into your presence. That we can hear and understand your words by your Spirit. And Lord, I thank you that that means that our lives can be wholly transformed from people who were running away from you and doing all the things that we think might be good for us, but actually in the end are awful for us. And we can come into your presence under your word, under your glorious ways. And we can find our true purpose. We can find who we're really supposed to be. We can find that in worship there is freedom and goodness and glory to be found. So come, Lord, we pray now. And would you speak into our lives in a way that truly changes them. That isn't just... Something that feels nice this morning, but, but something that is truly from you and truly changes our lives. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Alright, so we're going to take this in chunks. So we're going to uh, go from uh, verse 1 to 9, first of all, in Joshua 22. So if you do have a Bible, turn there and we'll um, read those first nine verses. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have done all that Moses' servant of the Lord commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded.
1: For a long time now,
0: to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that the Lord your God has given them rest as he promised, return to your homes." In the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. To love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him. And to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then Joshua blessed them and sent them away. And they went to their homes, to the half tribe of Manasseh. Moses had given land in Bashan, and to the other half of the tribe Joshua gave land on the west side of the Jordan, along with their fellow Israelites. When Joshua sent them home, he blessed them, saying, Return to your homes with great wealth, with large herds of livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and a great quantity of clothing, and divide the plunder from your enemies with your fellow Israelites. So the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites to Shiloh, Ashram, in Canaan, to return to Gilead, their old land, which they had acquired in accordance with the command of the Lord through Moses. Prince, come on up. So Prince, you're a bit of a pro, the old camera. Yep. Um, so for us who, yeah, you need isn't he? So for us who, uh, I'm going to stand well away from you. Uh, so, for us who are, uh, you know, maybe not the most technical, somebody like me who just like grabs an iPhone and it's just autofocus, bish bash bosh, job's done. If you actually wanted to really uh, get a wide angle and not just hit the slide your button along but do it with a
1: proper camera, how would you do that? Uh, yeah, so basically you'd probably get a wide angle lens for that, and essentially what that means is we'd um, have to obviously attached to your camera but it helps you take a picture of the bigger picture i guess Like, so normal lenses might not zoom in like um might be, too, be too, uh, a bit too zoomed in for what you're looking for so essentially if you have that you can get the bigger picture you can what well, if let's say a subject starts in a big area you'll be able to capture the whole thing using a wide-angle lens
0: wonderful great that's helpful can you click that little majority thingy great. great thank you that stops me buzzing Okay, so the eastern tribes, Moses had promised the land uh, back over on the other side of the Jordan and a little portion just to the west of the Jordan. That these tribes west of the Jordan um, had had their help for a long time. They'd been battling side by side with the tribes in the west, so that they were never promised the land west of the Jordan. Yet they, they fight side by side. They, they go to battle together. And it's God's battles. So God's winning these battles. But it takes them stepping out with courage and faith and getting alongside their brothers in the, on the other side of the Jordan. And they sacrifice a lot. I mean, think about it. They are on the move. They're basically traveling all the time. they they're not settling in the land that they could have because they'd already won that land. They, they could have had that land, yet they go with the other tribes. They fight with them on the other side of the Jordan. And now it's time for them to go back and settle in their land. They've pro- proven that they're, they're not just about themselves. Their concern is not just for their little slice of the turf, but for the whole land, for the whole kingdom of Israel we need to follow that example. We are called to be kingdom builders. People who see the whole picture. Not just people who get stuck into our own little projects and care only about the things that we are personally involved with. But people who care about what's going on in the kingdom of God around the world. Who care about what's happening in other churches around the city and around Scotland who care about what God is doing, not just where we might get some plaudits and some credit and feel good about ourselves. We need to be people who are willing, like Jesus commanded us, to go to the end of the earth. And that starts in praying for other people. That starts in just orienting your heart not towards purely a, a focus in one area, but a wide angle. We, we want to see the whole picture. We want to see what God is doing in the nations, not just in this room. It's a big vision. The gospel is a wide angle. And that means that the heart of who we are is to be citizens of God's kingdom. And in an individualistic society where we just want to call ourselves a Christian who has this set of beliefs, and it's good for me and that's great but I'm not going to force that on anyone else and I don't necessarily have to be accountable to anyone in the community and I certainly am thinking about people around the world who might be suffering for their faith right now it's just about me and how it makes me feel good, that is a real challenge to us we need to see that actually this is so much bigger than us we're part of something way way bigger something that transcends not only across the globe but actually through time when we get to heaven when we get to that new creation we're going to be worshipping with people from every generation we're going to be worshipping with people from every tribe and tongue and language and that is a glorious beautiful thing the people of God coming together in that final, beautiful, but forever continuing to multiply again and again and again in the new creation. That is a vision that, that surely we can get that. Joshua reminds the eastern tribes of who they are and what they're about, if we send them out. He reminds them that, look guys, you're a a people who are committed to loving God. That is what you're about. You're you're about loving God. You're made to love God. You're set apart for God. And it goes back to the language of Deuteronomy 1 through 11, where Moses is laying out the commands of God and reminding them that they are a holy people set apart for God. I'd say the same thing to us this morning. We are a holy people set apart for God. We are made to wholeheartedly love God and love one another. When Columba, Aidan, Patrick and the other Celtic evangelists first came to Scotland and Ireland with the gospel, the rest of the church said, You're mad. You're mad. What are you doing? Why would you go to those barbarians who are far too uncivilized to receive the gospel? They'll never get it. Now, that probably says that the rest of the church didn't really get the gospel. But they went anyway. They went on their own. And they had to establish these monastic communities which were totally in, in opposition to everything that the rest of the church was telling them. The, the rest of the church was saying, no, no, you, you guys don't want to go there. That's crazy. Like, you're on your own. We're, we're separating ourselves from you, you. If you want to do that, you go, whatever. We're not with you. We're not backing this. Not sending you with our blessing. And that they built these monastic communities that were designed for people to get together for, in- it's basically an intensive two, three months of gospel training. And then at the end of that, you'd be sent out to a little village somewhere in Scotland or Ireland. And as a little team, you would live there. You'd learn the language of, of the time and you would. And get around the fire and start telling stories about Jesus and invite people to come to hear those stories and be a part of their community and eventually you'd, you'd become part of that the community in the village and do you know what within 30 years almost all of Scotland were believers in Jesus they turned to Christianity anyway, depending on how you read the history but that is extro- isn't that extraordinary yeah. and we are to be people like that not people who hold back, not people who are stingy, not people who count every person and penny, but people who are generous, people who are looking to send. I, I talk to people about us being a church that is beginning as a multiplying church. We're not a church that's come just to set up this church. We're a church that wants to be concerned about sending, wants to be a church that's concerned about connecting with other churches, a church that's about training people and building people up and sending them out. The gospel, in wide angle, does not let us become selfish. I'm so glad that our experience was not a reluctant release from a previous church, but a Joshua-like blessing and sending. I was working for Gateway Church when we first received the prophetic word about coming back to Scotland. At the time, I was thinking, you know what? Other people can go there. I love Glasgow. I love Scotland. I'm going to always pray for it, but that's for other people. I'm going to go on an adventure. Little church plan, but, you know, might be somewhere like Barcelona, man. New York. Like somewhere really exciting. You know what? In that moment, when that prophetic word came, my heart was just changed. It was, just, it was, it was a God-given like, new heart for Glasgow, for Scotland. And I, I cannot be anywhere else now. That's it. Like, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is where, you know what, you're in this room because this is where you're supposed to be right now. But one day you might be called elsewhere. And when you're called elsewhere, I want you guys to have the experience that we had. Because I came out of that meeting, and then in that prayer meeting, we had loads of leaders in the room. But the one leader who wasn't there was the guy who led the church. So I had to go and speak to him, a guy called Matt Ozier, he's coming next month to speak, speak here and I started chatting to him about it and he asks me a really insightful question now this guy's like really invested in me he's believed in me he's trusted me he's he's given me a position in, in church and and, and I, I, will, I will a walk to him and so it was a difficult conversation because I know that he's obviously he's called to gateway in pool so it's going to be difficult and he asks me this insightful question he says If you didn't go, would you be being disobedient in your conscience to God? It's a great question. I went away and we kind of wrestled over that question. I came back and I said, yeah, I would be. Like, this is from God. And he was like, well, great. Let's work through this. Let's pray about this. Let's get the elders on board. And within a year, they were... uh, coming up here on wrecking trips with us, giving us finances, um, helping us think about how we can plant this church for the, for the glory of God and the good gospel. Guys, we want to be like that. <laughs> so if God's putting stuff in your heart, don't be shy about coming and chatting to me and others about it. Like, even at this stage, where we probably couldn't give you much, <laughs> we'd still bless you. We'd still want to say, come on, like we see if God's in it, we're gonna help you see if God's in it or not. And if God's in it, come on, go and do it. Go around the world and tell people about Jesus. It'll still be hard though. Saying goodbye is always hard. There were lots of tears when we left given. At the heart of who we are as a church, because of I would say because of how we've been sent and drawn here by God, is the gospel in White so here are some of the things that having the Gospel of the wide Angle does for us, okay, we're trying to fly through these. It helps us to celebrate diversity. So Advanced, uh, Glo- the Advanced Global Conference that I was at uh, last year with Lindsay and Annabelle um, was in South Africa. And there were speakers from all over the world. So we had guys speaking who were from Nepali villages. We had guys speaking from India, we had guys speaking from South Africa, in totally different contexts, some in predominantly white contexts, some in predominantly black contexts, some in very rich areas, some in very poor areas. We had people from South Wales, we had people from inner city London, Uh, we had people from uh, the South in the States, we had people from West Coast and East Coast in the States. had people that we went along with from all over the UK, places like Newcastle, where Andy's come from uh, today. So we have this incredible, uh, rich tapestry of different types of people who are united around one thing, Jesus. We just love Jesus. And the way that that's expressed is around five values that Advance have. If you want to find out more about that, um, go to the AdvanceMovement.com website, advanced website and you'll see more about it there. But ultimately, it's about Jesus. Like, we love Jesus. They love Jesus. Let's get together. Let's worship Jesus. Let's help each other do that. And having partnerships like that is, is just so helpful. So helpful. It helps to see that Jesus is building his church. So, when you look around the world... We live in one of the areas of the slowest growth of the church. And actually, it's one of the slowest areas of growth in the church around the world, of not just our generation, but most generations as you look back through history. And yet, yeah, that can be difficult. We're in a difficult spiritual battle right now. Now, my, my uh, faith in this is that actually we're going through a pruning Season. It's been a long pruning season. And I see signs of hope shoots of hope. I believe that God's going to do something extraordinary in our lifetime in this country. But we are going through something that is really difficult right now. Like your friends probably aren't all flooding to come to church. They're probably not like, oh can I please come? Can I come and hear the word preached? That, that's just not the, that's not the kind of environment we're in right now let me tell you there are places right now where that is happening so let me just give you a few stats that hopefully are encouragement Christianity is the biggest faith group in the world by about 800 million there are roughly 2.5 billion Christians in the world right now who profess faith in Jesus, that should encourage us taken from an average there are 33,000 more Christians in Africa today than there were yesterday think about that yesterday there were thirty-three thousand less christians than there are today in africa people are coming to faith in china so quickly that in 10 years it will be the more that will have the most number of christians out of any nation in the world there are more i'm gonna stop there there are some really encouragements when we look around the world and we see what god is doing in the big picture it helps us to learn from others based on those encouraging stats, I find it extraordinary that most of our learning in the church comes from the West. We need to look further afield than the places that have big publishers that can publish books that tickle our eyes. <laughs> I was going to say ears, but that's not right, is it? The reading. Um, so we need to. I think we need to look beyond that. And I'm delighted that we're part of the movement of churches, partner with churches. are not all in the same context as us because we can learn different things from different people. So for instance the humility and unity between churches in South Korea can read about it online, it's well documented it's it's incredible. The faith of South American churches they just believe that God can do anything the constant reproduction of leaders in the Chinese church house church movement I mean they accelerate so fast, these things grow so quickly that they have to have leaders in place within a month or two months or three months or sometimes even weeks because they can only meet in houses and so they have to reproduce leaders really quickly to get them into other houses. Now our grace communities could be a model that works like that. So if God suddenly decides that, you know what, that here's the time, here comes a the breakthrough, then that's the type of place that we can be reproducing leaders like that. We can learn from places like China. The courage of Middle Eastern churches and North African churches where there is an incredible uh, amount of persecution. They are so courageous. The way that other churches in Glasgow, just even looking around our city, express worship. They don't all express it like we do. And they're working in the same context. And actually, we can learn things from them too. Things that they've identified about the cities Things that they have seen and heard from God. And so actually we, we should be learning from one another as churches as well. It also keeps us, having this gospel wide angle lens, it keeps us from getting possessive and parochial. Yeah. When you have a wide angle lens on, you're suddenly less bothered by the unimportant things. The crazy pattern on this floor for instance. It bothered me when I first came in. I am working hard and having a wide-angle lens on and not being bothered about it now. <laughs> we need to not be bothered about this, or not sweat the small things. But instead, look at what God is doing in the bigger picture. We don't want to be having arguments in the church about, say we bought a building one day, Let's not be having arguments about the colour of the carpet, right? I mean, that's a classic church argument. We're not going to do that, okay? Because our vision is bigger. It keeps keeps us dreaming for others and not just for us. So when we have a a wide-angle lens on, wide-angle gospel lens, we think beyond Sunday numbers and our own experience to celebrate the victories of others and stand with them in their disappointment. And when we are dreaming and praying for others in other places in Glasgow, Scotland, around the world, we will find it a lot easier to listen to God when he is sending people elsewhere and blessing as they go. Like, the reason that churches get possessive about other people is because they're just thinking about their own church. We've got to think beyond that. So we want to be a church living in the... Living the gospel out in yeah. its widest angle, but if we want an authentic community, we also need to get up close and personal to view our own lives and each other's lives through the gospel in macro. Prince Q Prince. Right. If I mute this, oh wait, I'm gonna ask you questions. So you just do what you can do. I'll go over here. You got it off media. Yeah. You're amazing. What a pro. Um, not just with cameras. Uh, okay, so tell us a little bit, Prince, about uh, what
1: a macro lens is and what it does. Yes, uh, yeah, so the macro lens is the opposite of a light angle lens, essentially. What it does is like focuses really on specific details on whatever it is that you're and essentially just gets you like um, a really really close up picture um, that like a normal lens might not be any problem. Okay, so
0: when I see those like really cool pictures of like a leaf and you can see every little part of the leaf. macro lens? Yeah. Sweet. Thank you. (laughs) It's always good to get people who know what they're talking about to say things rather than pretend they know what they're talking about. So let's turn back to Joshua 22, verse 10. When they came... To Galiloth, near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. And when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan at Galiloth, near the Jordan, on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered its shadows to go to war against them. So the Israelites sent Phinehas, uh, son of Eliezer, uh, Eliezer I should say the priest to the land of Gilead to Reuben, Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh with them they sent ten of the chief men one from each of the tribes to Israel each the head of a family division among the Israelite clan when they went to Gilead to Reuben, Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh they said to them the whole assembly of the Lord says how could you break faith with God, the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? Was not the sin of, of Peor enough for us? Up to this very day, uh, we have not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though a plague fell in the community of the Lord. And are you now turning away from the Lord? If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he will be angry with the whole community of Israel. If the land you possess is defiled... Come over to the Lord's land, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and share the land with us. But do not rebel against the Lord and against us by building an altar for yourselves, other than the altar of the Lord our God. When Achan, son of Zerah, was unfaithful in regard to the devoting things, did not wrath come on the whole community of Israel? He was not the only one who died for his sin. Then Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel, The mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, he knows. And let Israel know, if this has been a rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. No, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, What do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. You, Reubenites and Gadites, you have no share in in the Lord. So your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. That is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar. But not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you, uh, between us and you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord and his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices and fellowship offerings. Then in the future your descendants will not be able to say to us you have no share in the Lord. And we said, if they ever say this to us or to our descendants we will answer, look at the replica of the Lord's altar which our ancestors built, not for burnt offerings and sacrifices but as a witness between us and you. Far be it from us to rebel against the Lord and turn away from him today by building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings and sacrifices, other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. Uh, when Phine- Phineas, Phine- Phineas, Phineas, yeah, it is Phineas. Isn't it? I keep thinking that this pronunciation. I, one minute I say it one way and the next minute I say it another way and I always confuse myself. Anybody else want to chip in? How would you pronounce it? Phineas. Phineas, that is how I wanted to say it. Great, thank you. Where am I? Verse 13. And Phineas, the priest and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of the Israelites, Herbert Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had to say, they were pleased. Phineas. Great. So in verses 10 and 11, the eastern tribes built this mighty altar right next to the Jordan. Now it's an imposing structure so it's clearly seen both sides of the Jordan and now uh, it looked as if they had set up an altar to foreign gods. That's what it looked like. It looked like not only had they set up a, an altar to foreign gods but also that they might have set up an altar and had started practicing worship in a way that is not instructed from Shiloh from the central from Israel from what Moses had instructed them to do. So this was serious stuff. If this is what they were doing, if what they were doing here was in contempt of Joshua's commands, Moses' commands, then this was a denial of who they were. This was a denial of who they were as the people of God set apart for God to worship God alone, the one true God, Yahweh. Now, we might look at a passage like this and think, wow, the reaction is really strong. I mean, they're to go to war. Why do they prepare to go to war? That seems crazy. And then they send this uh, group of people out to question them, led by Phineas. And this delegation is to question them on why they have built this altar. And so we might say, well hang on a minute, that that sounds like an overreaction. But but perhaps we think that is an overreaction because we are so familiar with sin that we don't even recognise it. And so unfamiliar with the glory of God and His holiness. That we miss the grave and dreadful consequences of separation from God. Paul says this to the Colossians. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. What really breaks God's heart about sin is that... Ultimately, what sin does is it reveals that we have idols. It reveals that we aren't worshipping God with all that we have. It reveals that we are a people who make idols out of ourselves and of other things instead of worshipping God how we've been designed to do. So when we're in unrepentant I know exactly what I'm doing sin we might as well Be worshiping another God. That is why the message of Jesus is so outrageously good. Jesus waged war on our sin. The sin that keeps us from God, keeps us in judgment, and ruins life here on earth. Jesus waged war against him. So much so that he was willing to go and die so that we could be free from our sin and run into the presence of God, be people of the presence. He came for our sake, died in our place, he was nailed to the cross. Separated from God and judged for our sin. It's pretty serious, isn't it? So we read a passage like this, and sometimes we read it totally out of context in the Bible because we've missed what Jesus has done for us. We've missed that we were much more sinful than we could ever begin to even imagine, and that that sin had such grave consequences. Sin and death reigned on the earth and in our lives before we came to know Jesus. And we were so far away from him that actually we were running in the opposite direction. We were running away from all that was good for us, thinking that those things were better than God. And Jesus hated that whole situation so much. God hated that situation so much. That he came and he died in our place. And so praise God that for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So now, if you call yourself a Christian who's put the faith in Jesus and has been set free from the sin that kept you from God, made righteous and joined to the God who you were made to worship, shouldn't we hate sin? Shouldn't we take it seriously? Shouldn't we make war with it? Shouldn't we put it to death? For you are a new creation, saved by grace. Now our whole framework for our society is so individualistic that we sometimes miss this. That actually here, the application is serious not just for one person, but for the whole community. So when we sin, we need to realise that, first of all, it's revealing idols, and the second thing that we need to realise is that it corrupts not just you, but the community of God. Your sin keeps you from a more intimate relationship with God, and... With each other and keeps you back from all that God wants you to be. That's how serious your sin is. Yes, Jesus has forgiven you. Praise God. You're guaranteed to run into his presence in an eternity in the new creation. Oh, that's wonderful. But if that's genuine, if that's genuinely what's happened to you right now, you should hate sin, and you should be following everything you can so that you can be more and more like Christ and to bless the community of God and to bless the people in your work and to bless your family and to bless your friends. And by continuing to sin in unrepentant sin, What you are doing is you're denying them the blessing of God. And that is how serious this is.
1: You know what? All of us struggle with this.
0: All of us struggle. Jesus got pretty serious with this stuff. He said this, it sounds very similar to what the delegation does. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Justice between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would, a pagan or a tax collector. Jesus said that. Jesus wants us to take sin seriously in the community of God. And so, we need a little bit of holy confrontation in our lives. Don't we? So that means we we need to speak the truth in love. Now, I want to be really clear. This is not speak the truth in judgment and condemnation over people. This is speak the truth in love so that people might run to God, receive grace and run into his presence again. So it's repentance and straight back into his presence. Jesus has won that for us. So we're not holding anything over anyone. And actually, these accountable relationships that I would encourage you to have, if you don't have accountability in your life, make sure you do. Pray about it. Ask God to give you someone that you think, ah, they'd be a great person just to be accountable with things that have gone on in my life. Good and bad, share the ups and downs of disappointments. Just go a little bit deeper with one or two. And share the sin in your life. But make sure there's somebody you can trust. There's not going to be any gossip. There's not going to be any of that nonsense going on. We don't share sin so that somebody else can go and sin with your sin. Share sin so that we can be forgiven before God and pray for one another and help each other and build one another up. And so go and find that accountability. And in those relationships where there is genuine love, I have found that that is where I grow most. I remember having a conversation with a friend a few years ago, and I was being critical of church leadership. I would say, ah, I don't know why they do this, and why don't they do that? It's easy when you're not in leadership. Church leadership. And I was, I, I was being stupidly proud. Now, I didn't realize at the time, I thought was righteous anger. <laughs> and this guy just points, points it out. He, he loved me enough to say, Dude, you're so proud. That's just. He, he didn't focus on whether I was right or I was wrong. He cared enough about me to, to get to the bottom of what was going on in my own heart. So I might have been right, who knows? But he didn't even care about that, he cared enough about me, that he wanted to know what was going on here, with my father. And that that really helped me that moment, It humbled me before God. We need those moments in our lives, we need to be accountable to people. We all need loving accountability. If we think we don't, we're fooling ourselves. Okay, let's turn back to Joshua chapter 22 for our, our exhibition. And we'll just go through this quickly. So, Prince, why don't you come out for the last time? What's there? Anyway. And uh, Prince. Let me ask you this. If I wanted to put some prints um, up somewhere to exhibit. Now I wanted physical prints, okay? So like, I'm, we're not talking like, you know, on the Flickr or something like that. Um, I want to get them like properly printed you know, like, and stuff.
1: What do I need to do? Um, so first of all, I guess, take a picture. Um, once you've done that, it'll help if you maybe take it to a specialist to will then process it for you. They'll get an the image, that maybe it's a digital image. They'll um, process it for you, or if it's a film image, they'll put some like they'll chemicalize and put through a process where they'll then blow up the picture into a bigger size, and then we'll just put out a special paper that helps you to be able to see it in higher quality than like A4 not paper, with, for example. Brilliant, love it. Okay, that's great. And
0: then I can put them in like frames, and because my pictures are great, right? So I want, I want them in an exhibition, in an exhibition somewhere. So, we're so yeah, I can put them in a big phrase, and do all that sort of stuff, yeah? yeah. Wonderful. Great, thank you. <laughs> I love the fan club here and there. <laughs> excellent. Um, okay, let's turn to the final two verses. Final three verses, I should say. And Phineas, son of Eliezer, Eliezer the priest, said to Reuben, Gad, God, And Manasseh, today we know that the Lord is with us, because you have not been unfaithful to the Lord in this matter. Now you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's hand. Then Phinehas, son of Eliezer, the priest, and the leaders returned to Canaan from their meeting with the Reubenites and Gadites and Gilead, and reported to the Israelites. They were glad to hear the report, and praised God. And they talked no more about going to war against them to devastate the country where the Reubenites and the Gadites lived. And the Reubenites and the Gadites gave the altar its name, a witness between us that the Lord is God. So, turns out, Eastern tribes actually had good intentions the whole time. That's good, isn't it? Uh, But it does teach us a few lessons. One is, we probably shouldn't jump to conclusions, but it is good to confront and not to hold things back and Start to assume things about people. Actually it's good and healthy to go and talk. Have the conversation. And so they believe their testimony. And they all go away. Praising God. Good news right? Now they all realise they're on the same page. And so the main thing. Is still the main thing. And we're all. That's that we're all looking to bring glory to Yahweh. As the people of God. And so they make this. Mighty commitment. And the Gadites uh, and the Reubenites call this altar a witness between us that the Lord is God. And so they put this altar up really as an exhibit to say that we are going to give all of our worship, all of our lives to the one true God of Israel. This isn't a rival altar to the one in Shiloh, but actually is uh, a sign that we are with the people in Shiloh. We're still with you as one people. I uh, was in Amsterdam a few years ago um, with Lindsay before Annabelle came along. And we were touring around the city and decided we did a bit of culture. Good thing to do, isn't it? So, you know, went and saw, like, paintings and all that because I'm really cultured. And um, eventually we ended up with this little exhibition. It was a photography um, exhibit. And uh, it was by this photographer called Vivian Meyer. Now you might have heard of her, but this story to me is just amazing. So she takes thousands, hundreds of thousands of photographs in her lifetime. And her whole lifetime she works in a sweatshop and then as a nanny for 40 years and she doesn't show anyone her photographs, ever. So it isn't until after she dies, in 2008, and in 2009, someone then, well, they've discovered these, and they decide to put them on the internet. They actually do put them on Flickr. And from that moment on, Vivian Meyer becomes this sensation in, in photography. She, I have no idea why she didn't share her work. Maybe she didn't want people to give her attention, maybe she didn't like the attention, maybe she didn't like the risk of putting herself out there, maybe she didn't think very much of herself, maybe she didn't think much of her work, maybe she was scared of what people might think. I I can only guess. But look it up when you get home, because it's stunning photography of just kind of normal life, mostly in northern uh, Chicago where uh, she was doing her nannying, and the photography is beautiful. And um, check, you should check it out. But we, as Christians, are in danger of being a bit like that. I think, she as a photographer, is it would be a shame if, if no one had ever discovered that incredible gift and incredible thing that she was able to do. I'm glad that they did. And as Christians, some of us are not willing to be on exhibition with the gospel in our lives. We're living a different life here in the church, to the one that we're living in when we're out of life. walking. And actually, we are supposed to shine like stars. That's what Paul says to the Philippians and live as citizens worthy of the gospel. We are gospel exhibits, whether we like it or not. Acting like lights in dark places to show who God is. And of the key images to any gospel exhibit is unity. That is one of the key images It needs to be part of that exhibit. We need to be united with others. Jesus didn't say they will know you by your articulate preaching, he didn't say they will know you by your music, he didn't say that they will, he will, that they will know you by your banners or by Ephesians' excellent skills here on PowerPoint. He said that they will know you by your love for one another. And one of the, the key ways that we need to be exhibiting the Gospel is to genuinely love one another. So that's why we are putting so much weight on Grace Communities. That's why um, today there's an opportunity to sign up over at that table for Grace Communities. I'll tell you about the three different Grace Communities that we've got coming up. Um, So please do join in with them. Um, They are basically an opportunity to go deeper with one another, to genuinely love one another, to be on mission together, to read the Bible together, to eat together, and uh, to pray together. Those are the four things that we do in Little Cycles and uh, each night has a different focus on one of those four and they really are just about helping one another to go deeper with Jesus and to love one another and display that love to the people around us it's so important but also to share that love in, not just in a focused way like that in those smaller groups but, but also in a wider community and so uh, that means that We are partnering with advance it means that we are partnering with other churches and all the things we've already talked about and so this unity aspect of who we are is is huge it's not a sexy thing to talk about in this day and age but it is vital absolutely vital i one of the things i absolutely love doing since coming back to Glasgow was reading about the way in which God's moved in the past in the city and in Scotland. Do you know that? still to find a way in which God has moved in great power, lots of people coming to faith, lots of miraculous things going on, what you might kind of call revival conditions. I have not seen any of that where the churchy, where there's not churches united. Multiple churches working together. I cannot find one example of just one church that causes some major revival. It happens in several churches, not just one. And I think that is, that there is a spiritual reason for that. I think God seems to love to do amazing things through his church when we're united, when we're together in Christ. When we're fragmented and when it's about us and when we're in competition, I don't think God's going to bless that. And so I want you guys to know that we are going to make every effort as a church to get alongside other churches and pray with other churches and find meaningful ways to connect. So, guys, here's what I want us to remember from Joshua 22. I want us to remember that it could be so easy for us to just get our heads down and kind of just ignore what goes on around us. Ignore what goes on around us in terms of other people in in the community of God, in our church. Ignore what goes around us with other churches in the city. Ignore what goes around us, the churches worldwide. But actually, guys, we are called to a wide-angle vision of the gospel. That's what the gospel is. It's in wide angle. But it's also in focus. And we need to remember that too. That actually, if there's stuff in our lives that's holding us back from who who we are in Jesus, then we need to do something about that. And it doesn't just affect you, it affects the whole community. And lastly, we need to be people who are willing to exhibit the gospel. To show off how wonderful God is by our love for one another and in all sorts of different ways where the gospel changes us and makes us more than Christ. Why don't we get our feet? And before um, we worship and take communion together, I just want to pray for us. I want to pray that we would be people who are about more than ourselves. I want us to genuinely ask that question about ourselves. Um, Am I really about the Worldwide Church? Am I really about God's kingdom? Or am I just about my own little
1: demi-kingdom, my own little kingdom that I want to build for myself?